Our second reading this morning is from the Gospel of St. Luke, the 12th chapter, and if you're interested in following along, it's printed in the middle of your bulletin insert. I came to bring, br- to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three, they will be divided. Father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, It is going to rain. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Here ends our reading. Both of our texts for this morning have some bite to them. One directed toward God and the other toward the people. The psalmist describes the devastation of a nation that was tended to so carefully a beautiful vine that God planted and that took deep root, reaching its branches out to the rivers and sea, sturdy and strong, bearing beautiful fruit. And now its fruit has been ravaged by wild boars, and it has been cut down and burned. A psalm of desperation, of such singing in the wild branches, that God's face might shine upon the vine once more and bring restoration to a people, that they might be granted life and protection from their enemies. And then in Luke, we hear the voice of Jesus quaking in lament and sharpness of anger. The psalmist cries for help, and Jesus urges the people into action. Rise up. I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with it, which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No. I tell you, but rather, division. I am reminded of a lesson in Judaism the people crying to God to come save them, hear the response, all that you need has already been given you. I came to bring fire to the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. What I hear when I read these words is all that you need has already been given you. Sometimes that's really a nice message.
<laughs> and sometimes alongside that I hear judgment against the psalmist and the people Jesus is prodding that says, you have not been about bracing life in this world. Get to it now. And now Jesus has come. And what of his peace? Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Oh, how is that the way it is? <laughs> There are scholars who respond to this disturbing text by saying Jesus' words are descriptive rather than prescriptive. That is, as Audrey West explains, it is not Jesus' purpose to set children against their parents or parents against their children, but this sort of rupture came as the result of changes engendered by Christ's work. The way to peace not welcomed by all, brought with it disruption and division. Trying to appreciate just how poignant Jesus' message might have been, I did a little more investigating into ancient household customs and came across a note by scholar Matthew H. Victor that connected the belief of honoring the father and the ability to become a father. If a son had a divisive relationship with his father, it was believed the son's virility would be taken away. The, the disruption of the family, the intensity of the division Jesus points to, would have been to risk the furthering of the ancient line, something that had been entrusted to them throughout the ages. Whether this rupture of the family was actually taking place in Luke's audience, the experience of whatever the rupture in society was would have been significant. Not only was the way to peace not as comforting as they might have imagined, but it induced an incredible amount of fear. There was a real risk to life. So no, Jesus didn't bring peace all gentle on a stream, or quick and clean. At least that's not the peace Luke's audience knew. Jesus may have ushered in a society of mercy and justice and compassion, but the way there was not, is not, neat. A mentor of mine someone I'm sure I've talked about before, but he's the mentor in the, in the sky for me, he used to talk to me about what he thought was most essential to Christianity. Being in conversation with him was like coming into the middle of someone else's debate. It was clear there were voices he was debating, people whom I'd never met, but I was the audience hearing him as he made his proclamation against what had clearly felt inaccurate or oppressive in some way. He was a Jesuit-turned-Episcopal priest, one of those narratives he was still trying to work out. 
And speaking of his favorite service of the year, the Easter Vigil, and the ritual of the remembrance of baptism, he used to describe going out into the rushes on the banks of a river, and there gathering up cattails, those tall reeds with the soft, dense ends on the end like a cat's tail. He would pull out an armful and bring them back for the service. And in preparation, he would soak them in water. And then, when the time came for the pièce de résistance, he would begin the liturgical act of flinging the plants above the people, charging them to remember their baptism. <laughs> and, and they would find themselves doused with water and splattered with pieces of the plant. <laughs> for the truth, he said, of coming up out of the water into new life is unruly, not altogether pleasant or clean. <laughs> I'm not sure whether the congregation appreciated his enthusiasm for this point or the chunks of cattail in their hair as much as he did in the retelling of it. When discussing this over tea and pumpkin bread at our usual cafe, he would inevitably have crumbs clinging to his beard as he launched into the importance of embracing the full expression of being human. What I love about remembering his baptism, along with the laughter, is that he blessed and blesses again my inability to be perfect, to have it all together, and he still saw me as worthy and remarkable. To be loved like that was to be offered the most wonderful grace. When I thought there was something wrong with me. He gave me a way back to an openness of heart. A way back as Mary Oliver says, to belonging to life again. I recently read an interview with Mary Oliver where she talks about being diagnosed with cancer and facing her own mortality. And during this period of time, she said, she wrote the poem, The Fourth Sign of the Zodiac, which is at the beginning of your bulletin, in which she uses that belonging line. She writes, I know you never intended to be in this world, but you're in it all the same. So why not get started immediately? I mean, belonging to it. Responding to a prompt by the interviewer to reflect on her spiritual life as she's grown older, she says, I've become kinder, more people-oriented more willing to grow old. More willing to grow old. There it is. Belonging to the world now. In the interview, Mary Oliver observed what one ends up believing, even if it shifts, has an effect on the life that you live, the life that you choose to live or try to live. 
she came to believe. The end of life has its own nature, also worthy of our attention. Hopeful that she could come to that turn, that shift out of lament. She could be about leaving, living even as she was facing death. Maybe being about living also allowed her to embrace lament, just as it allowed her to be more willing to grow old. I seem to want to separate the two, separate the psalmist, the desperate cries for help, and Jesus' call into action, as if one is not about living and the other is. And I can hear my old mentor in my ear urging me to embrace the full expression of being human. What I notice about being thrust into grief is that it makes me sensitive to the world, to kindness, to the quiet, to the scent of pine, to others who are grieving in a way that I otherwise often breeze by. And I wonder if when the soul is in need of comfort, it comes in that fellow feeling, in that connection, in that sense of union, of belonging to the world. There is a kindling of fire or a realizing of a society of mercy and compassion that comes with a sensitivity in grieving, too. Though this being about living, this action, might not be as fierce in spirit as Jesus' tongue, one will find there is a reservoir of water to sustain you, there might be cattails at the edges, but even those might become a friend. Does your own soul need comforting? Listen as Mary Oliver tells of such singing in the wild branches. It was spring and I finally heard him among the first leaves. Then I saw him clutching the limb in an island of shade with his red-brown feathers all trim and neat for the new year. First I stood still and thought of nothing. Then I began to listen. Then I was filled with gladness, and that's when it happened, when I seemed to float, to be myself a wing or a tree, and I began to understand what the bird was saying, and the sands in the glass stopped for a pure white moment while gravity sprinkled upward like rain rising, and in fact, it became difficult to tell just what it was that was singing. It was the thrush, for sure, but it seemed 
not a single thrush, but himself and all his brothers and also the trees around them, as well as the gliding long-tailed clouds in the perfect blue sky, all of them were singing. And of course, so it seemed, so was I. Such soft and solemn and perfect music doesn't last for more than a few moments. It's one of those magical places wise people like to talk about. One of the things they say about it that is true is that once you've been there, you're there forever. Listen, everyone has a chance. Is it spring? Is it morning? Are there trees near you? And does your own soul need comforting? Quick then, open the door and fly on your heavy feet. The song may already be drifting away. Amen.